Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. So before we do, I just want to pray, Jesus, we just thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you, Father, that you are so worth showing up to the table for. God, that you always have something good to give us, uh, that your, your smile is upon us. God, I thank you that you love to be in our presence, and we love to be in yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to talk about lamps today. Uh, yes. And so I thought before I, like, I had my message all done, I thought, I don't really have any, like, personal stories. So I was thinking, what lamps could I talk about? And there were two lamps that came to mind. They're very random. They have nothing to do with my message other than they are lamps. Um, But the first lamp I remembered was this Care Bears lamp that I had when I was a really little kid. And I, I found a picture because the internet preserves everything. So if you could go ahead and put that Care Bears lamp up there. That was the one. I had that lamp. Um, and it was such a weird memory because uh, it was just, I had to be like five or six years old. And uh, this is not really a fun story, but I was so consumed with fear as a little kid um, that I would do these like OCD patterns where I would look at certain objects in the room in a certain number, in a certain order, like a certain number of times every night. And if I didn't do that, it was like, I'm going to have bad dreams. So like I did this every night. And the lamp was one of those things. So it was so weird. I don't think I've ever told anyone that story. And I needed to think about a lamp story. And I was like, the Care Bears lamp. So the other lamp that I thought of, your your memory is so weird. But the other lamp I thought of was Pizza Hut. And um, (laughs) when you have a lot of people in your family and not a lot of money, going out to eat is a big deal. And so we had three staples in our family, McDonald's, the dollar menu, we would go and do that. And then we would go to Haas's because kids ate free at the salad bar. And so I didn't even know until I was an adult that you could order food on off of a menu at Haas's because we only ever got the salad bar because kids ate free. And the third one was Pizza Hut. And I remember these lamps and I thought, well, maybe these lamps were just at our Pizza Hut. And then I Googled Pizza Hut lamps and it turns out all Pizza Huts have these lamps. So if you ever go to Pizza Hut, you're going to remember these lamps. All right. Those stories had nothing to do with the message today other than they were fun icebreakers and they are lamps. So Now I need to explain to you the kind of lamp that I'm going to be talking about today that does not look at all like a Care Bears or a Pizza Hut lamp. Um, But um, lamps have been around for a long time. They've been around since the beginning. You can't really see, but she has a lamp there. That's the kind of lamp we're going to talk about today. Um, And the Bible loves to take a natural object and use it to explain uh, a spiritual concept. And so lamps have been around for a long time, and I never knew. Did you ever, like, did you ever get a car, and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere? Like, you just start to see. In my family, we have a number that, like, we see this number everywhere. It just shows up. 
So now when I read the Bible, there are lamps everywhere. You would think the book was written about lamps. There's so many lamps in the Bible. And so I want to show you what these lamps looked like because they, this was a long time ago before modern technology, before electricity. These were a very basic lamp. And so could you, yep, there you go. This is the kind of lamp that we're talking about today. And it's important that you understand what these lamps look like so that um, these parallels between natural and spiritual kind of make sense. So you see, it's a very basic um, thing. It's a clay vessel uh, with a hole in the middle and they would fill it with oil, usually pressed olive of oils, what they would use, and then there was a wick, and they would light the wick, and that's, that's a basic lamp in ancient times. Um, this is, again, a very simple contraption. Um, there's like different iterations, but it's all the same premise, a clay vessel um, with oil and a wick that you lit. So now, do you understand what these lamps look like? You got Care Bears out of your mind, and we got this lamp up there. Okay, so... Um, all through the Bible is talking about lamps. And um, in the Old Testament, in the beginning section of the Bible, um, they talk about uh, lamps in this way. They, there is a, um, all right, are you ready for a history lesson? I'm going to try to keep, keep focused. So in the, in the beginning part of the Bible, um, God's people had been freed from Egypt. They were now in the wilderness. They were wandering around in the desert. And God gives them very specific instructions to build a tabernacle. And a ta this tabernacle was a big tent structure. There we go. Um, this is a basic idea of what we're talking about here. Um, it's this portable structure and this was very important to God um, because this is where the presence of God would dwell. Back in this time, the presence of God was not for, like not just everyone could interact with the presence of God, only a select few. But this tabernacle was to be put in the middle of where they were, the middle of their camp. And this is where the presence of God was hosted. And it was portable. So when God said, go, they'd pack it up. And they would take it with them. And there were very specific instructions on how to do all of this, how to build it down to like the threads, the colors, the sizes, the shapes, all of it. If you like love um, like architectural digest or like, like Nathaniel loves to read instruction manuals, the, the latter half of Exodus is like your book. It's just for, it tells you all about how this tabernacle was built. Um, but this tabernacle was important because it's where the presence of God dwelt. And the word tabernacle actually means dwelling place. Can you say dwelling place? Dwelling place. So the presence of God dwelt here. Um, and so this was a very important part because this is how the people could interact with the presence of God. And so they would bring, could you put that back up for just one second? They would bring sacrifices. I don't know if you can see, I don't have like a laser pointer. In the front part, inside the, the wall, um, you see this, this like rectangle box with kind of flames coming up or smoke coming up. They would bring their offerings and their sacrifices before the Lord as the Lord asked for. So God was very kind in that he was very specific in giving them exactly what instructions they were to bring to him to please his presence. And so they would bring their offerings and their sacrifices um, right there before um, in the tabernacle before the holy place where the presence of God dwelt. Am I, are you sticking with me? We're going to move on from this. Don't worry. Um, 
but God, he was very specific about all of this. Um, and one of the things that he was very specific about, if you read in the book of Exodus, is he wanted there to be a lampstand. We're coming back, circling back to lamps. He wanted there to be a lampstand in the tabernacle. And it probably looked like you would think of a Hanukkah menorah. Can you kind of picture Hanukkah? It's like, if we're not Jewish, it's like the staple that we think Hanukkah, we think this lampstand, um, kind of like this. And so now in modern day, they usually use candles. Um, but back then, remember our lamp? Remember our oil lamp? So there's these, um, these ornate stands, and then uh, on the top, there would be different lamps. And remember, the lamp is a vessel with oil, a wick, and a flame. Um, so this, I just think this picture is funny, but... Um, there you can kind of see at the top, you see the vessel sitting on top of the stands. That thing is massive. I don't know if that's to scale. It's so big. Um, I didn't look that deeply. I don't love reading instruction manuals. So, um, but, so you can picture this lampstand in the Bible. It's kind of one of the first places that the Bible talks about lamps. And so this is important to God. Say it's important to God. I know to us, it's like, what's the big idea here? But it was important to God that there were lamps in the tabernacle, in his dwelling place. And in Exodus 27, 20 through 21, this was God's command. He said, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. If you got lost in all of that, God said it's very important that the oil of the lamps is tended day and night. All day, all night, it's very important that these lamps are fueled with oil. This was important to the Lord. Now in the Bible, remember we, the Bible often takes a natural object and it gives a spiritual deeper meaning to it. And so in the Bible, oil most often represents presence, the presence of God. And so um, here in the tabernacle, um, way back then, there's this tent where the Holy Spirit's presence dwelt. And he said, it's important that you tend the oil of these lamps before my presence. So just hold that information in your brain. Can you do that? Okay. So now we're going to move through. We, we, we established a foundation. Now the Old Testament often, if you read the Old Testament just on its own, Lord bless you. It's, it's, it's a lot to get through. There's a lot of details Right, Connie? We're working through it, right? <laughs> um, there's a lot of details, and it, you're like, what does this all mean? But often, there's things in the Old Testament that tie, there's threads, that if you follow those threads to the New Testament where Jesus is, you can see how it was all connected all along. And so if you follow this thread to the New Testament, this thread of lamps and oil, we come to Jesus. Say hallelujah. Whew. Hallelujah. We're out of the wilderness we don't have a tent we got to pack up every time. We made it to Jesus. So in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So you could stop right there and you could say that the Word came and he tabernacled with us. 
So remember Old Testament, what a tabernacle was? Showed you the picture? That was where God dwelled. That's where his presence dwelled. Now it comes to Jesus and it says, Jesus tabernacled with us. And it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So back then, Old Testament, not just everybody could encounter the presence of God. Not just everybody could experience his glory. But now Jesus here, he's tabernacling with us. He's dwelling with us on earth. Who lives on earth here? Everybody? We clear? We sure? Okay. So Jesus came to earth and he's dwelling among us. He's with us. um, And everybody can see his glory, which is pretty awesome. We've come a long way from the Old Testament. Then in John 8, 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, are you following? Are we connecting dots? So we've got lamps in the tabernacle. Now we have Jesus where the presence, he is the tabernacle. He's tabernacling with us and he is the lamp. He is the light. He says uh, in John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So we've come a long way here from a lot of rules and regulations in order to host God's presence to now Jesus is here and he's among us and he's the light of the world. And so Jesus um, also had oil, remember lamps, oil, lights. Okay, so Jesus had oil, the presence of God. And he, um, remember how the priests were told you need to tend the oil day and night. It's important. Now Jesus is here and Jesus says that he only does what he sees the father doing. Jesus is in constant communion with the Father. And so he's constantly fueling the oil of his lamp. So it's just the same. We're just we're taking it from one setting to another setting. And it doesn't stop. It keeps going. Because Jesus didn't want things to just stop with him. He wanted it to get all the way to us. So Jesus just didn't come to embody the tabernacle for himself. He came with a mission. Remember, he said, um, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. So he's talking about people who are in darkness and he wants them to have light. So Jesus comes and he wants us, say me, to have light. And so in Matthew 5, 14, 16, the story keeps going. This is all one book. The Bible tells all of this. He says, you, oh, not that one. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Maybe I have them in the wrong order. I'm very sorry. Okay, I'll just read it. Listen with your ears. There we go. Thanks. You guys are awesome. You are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. That is not blasphemy. Jesus said what I am, I am the, I'm the carrier of God's presence. I am the light. But he says, now I want you to be the carrier of God's presence. I want you to be the light of the world. So he's passing on this mission for us to be the light of the world. He says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp. I told you the whole, the book's about lamps. You, okay. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a lampstand. Remember the menorah? And it gives light to all that are, those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The bottom line is that we have become a lamp. Say, I am a lamp. In children's church, we love to say things. We say, um, um, I am a fruit branch, we've learned, because we are a fruit branch, right? We said, I'm a pipe, because we are vessels for heaven to get to earth. And not today, we're going to say, I am a lamp. Yes. Um, so we are his light to the world. Um, and so we went from tabernacle, tent, to Jesus, to now us, say me. Now, this is pretty incredible because it went from being really complex for people to interact with the presence of God to now we just receive Jesus and we get to interact with the presence of God. It's what he's always wanted. It's to dwell with us. So say, I am his tabernacle. Now, remember the simple lamp. It's very basic. We've got a clay vessel. We've got a wick that they light. What's the other key element to the lamp? Oil. Oil. So if, the, if there wasn't oil in the lamp, it was kind of useless. There was nothing for it. That it couldn't shine. It couldn't burn um, because it was empty. And so that oil, uh, if you remember, I said the oil in the Bible usually represents the presence of God or communion with the presence of God. And so um, just as the priests they were told they need to tend the oil day and night. And then Jesus had constant communion connection with the Father, filling his lamp with oil. Now we are the light of the world. And guess whose job it is to tend the oil? It's ours. It's our responsibility to tend the oil of our lamp. So now remember how we said the pressure's off? It's real simple. Back then in the Old Testament, all these rules, all these regulations, all these ways to interact with the presence, it's real simple. It's just simply communion with his spirit. It's a relationship. It's a friendship with him. And so I want to talk about a couple stories in the Bible that have to do with oil. And so um, I didn't get too deep into this because like I said, I, could, I think I could spend the next 10 years getting a PhD in lamps and oil. There's so much content on this. But what I under, from what I understand is the olive oil, the olives would go through a pressing process and every time that they were pressed, there was a different grade of oil. Um, and so there was certain oils that were used for uh, lamps to, to fuel the lamps. And then there were certain finer grades of oil that they would perfume and that they would, they would be worth something. Do you remember how um, when Jesus was born, they brought frankincense, um, gold, and myrrh? There's these oils, these fragrant oils that were worth something um, back then. And so there's a story in the Bible um, in Mark 14, 3 through 9. Um, and it says, being in Bethany... At the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. 
Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you might do them good. But me you do not have with you always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Verse 9, I just love. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Reasons I love this passage. One, she recognized his presence. Jesus said, you're going to have all these other people with you always. She recognizes my presence is here now. And she wanted to devote her prized possession to his presence. So she, Jesus became her place of offering, her place of sacrifice. You remember in the tabernacle, they would bring offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. And here this woman is bringing this costly oil and she's anointing Jesus with it. She, she in essence, wasted it. She poured it out on him because she recognized that that oil, that a natural valuable possession was worth nothing in comparison with his presence. So she recognized the tabernacle, that Jesus, his presence was right there. And Jesus says, she gets it. She says, pipe down. You don't know what you're talking about. She gets it. She gets what's right in front of her. And he says, wherever they tell my story, they're going to tell hers. There was a friendship that was developed. And when she left that room, think about this. It's, it's a perfumed oil. She gives it to Jesus. And when she leaves that room, she was the light of the world. She smelled just like he did. And she shone. And wherever his story was told, her story was told. So she became the light to the world, telling his testimony everywhere she went. It's pretty awesome. She recognized the value of stewarding her oil. See, when we recognize the value of the oil of his presence, nothing in this world will compare. In Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So that oil, the, her, her natural wealth, suddenly was a love offering. It was a gift because she recognized his presence, and his presence became more valuable than anything that she had. So there is a longing inside of every heart, every person, say inside of me, for communion with the maker. Great. You can put a period on your repeats. Yeah. Inside of every one of us, we want to respond to him. We want to connect with him. And we just don't always realize it, but it's there. So from the beginning, when Jesus, this is awesome, um, Jesus breathed his breath into us, right? 
Remember Adam and Eve? He breathed breath into them. And they became carriers of his presence. And he walked with them in the garden, in his spirit. That was the beginning of the story. Did you know Jesus or God never changed course? From the very beginning when it was perfect. When he dwelled with man and woman in the garden. When he breathed his spirit into them. When he walked with them in the garden. He never changed course. Even when sin came in. Even when a whole lot of mess happened. God never changed his story. So he's always wanted to dwell with us in perfection, in relationship. He's always wanted to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us. So that's to today, still to today. He still wants to do that with me and you. So you could say that we were designed to be a lamp full of oil, to be carriers of his presence. And when the lamp is full of oil, it shines bright, right? It becomes that lamp. It, it serves its function, um, but it's so much more than just a function. All right. Um, Pastor Tyler Staten, he's in Portland, I believe. Um, I heard him say this. He said, distraction is fast food. It doesn't nourish us, but it does work for deferring hunger. So this world is so full of options. I actually, like, toothpaste, if we could just have one. Like, go, when I have to buy, like, cosmetics, toiletries, and you go into the store, and there's just, like, an aisle full. I just, it just, it hurts my brain. And um, toilet paper math is like any, is not like any other math. You have to be an engineer or a mathematician to figure out toilet paper math, you know, to stand there and to be like, okay, this many sheets, this many plies, this many on a roll. It's like insane. So I buy the Costco pack of toilet paper on January 1, and it lasts me almost to the end, right? So this to say, there's so much options. You're laughing at me. It's true. If I can buy in bulk one time and never have to face all these options, I'm there for it. But there are a lot of options in this world, right? I just gave you like a simple illustration that you're all familiar with. You've all had to face the toothpaste aisle. But there's so many options. And because it's the American way, if you don't like the current options, just create a new option, right? We are so familiar with an abundance of options. And there's just voices happening with us like all the time. We, can, we have options of who we're going to listen to, what we're going to listen to, how much we're going to listen to, all of that. And I am just as human as every person in this room. I do not live in a prayer closet and only just focus on the Lord all day and night. Right? I don't I, I actually think that Taylor Swift has some really great songs. And I was really bummed that her new album, there's a lot of curse words, and I can't just be singing them because then I come to church and I accidentally like, you know, curse at one of you and you think I'm a horrible person, right? Um, so I just tell you that to say that I get that this world has a lot of options and that it's we, I live in a world. Say I live in a world. Right? I get it. That's not wrong that we live in a world. Earlier when I asked all of you who are from Earth, I'm really glad you were all like sure that you're from Earth, right? That was not a trick question. 
But there are a lot of options and there are a lot of voices and it's okay that we live in a world, but it's also important to recognize that we were created for communion with another world, communion with our Father God, who from the beginning of time to the end of time, he wants to walk in communion with us. And it's important for us to fuel that connection because there's so many options in the world, like fast food that will fill us temporarily, that will do a good job in the moment of giving us a quick fix, but they will just defer the hunger, the longing of our heart that we have to commune in fellowship with our creator, day and night. And so it's important for us as believers of Jesus to recognize that just temporarily filling um, ourselves with those um, empty calories is only going to get us so far because we were given a mission just like the priests in the beginning to tend the oil of our lamps day and night. And so does that mean that you have to abandon this world No, it just means you got to recognize that we have a connection with the Most High all the time and it never goes away. And it's important for us to steward that connection. So it's not about performance or perfection. It's actually about love. Our oil doesn't come from our doing. It doesn't come from our good works. It doesn't come from separating yourself entirely into a closet over here with the Lord. No, it actually just comes from recognizing that I am loved and that I love. It's, it's stewarding a relationship with his presence. So oil comes out of our love for him. It's a longing to be present with him, to be in that tabernacled place with him. all the time. It's loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And that gets to be really easy when we realize how much he loves us. It's really easy to love somebody back when you recognize sincerely, intimately, that they love you. And so we get to give back to God the love that he first gave to us from the beginning of time. So can you say amen? Amen. I have another story for you from the Bible about lamps. Can you imagine? This one is in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I talked about this story back before Christmas, I think, but it just is fitting. And this one is a sobering story. Um, And remember how the Bible also often uses parables. It's using uh, a representative story to communicate a deeper message. And that's what this is. So it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their what? Lamps. And went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now you understand the concept of a lamp by now. The oil is pretty important to this lamp. But the wise took the oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins around uh, arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather... But go rather to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the virgins came, other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, 
I do not know you. This is a sobering passage. And the point, one of the points being that I can't give you my oil and you can't give me yours. As much as we are a body, as much as we are unified and, and a collective group as the body of Christ, as the family of God, I actually can't give you my relationship with him and you can't give me yours. You can't depend on my relationship with him and I can't depend on your relationship with him and it's gonna look different. It doesn't have to look the same but it has to be yours. Our relationship with him has to be our own because it's, it's my lamp and I have a responsibility to tend the oil in my lamp, to tend my connection with the Father. It's also a reminder that he actually desires for us to know him as he knows us. He says, I can't open the door because I don't know you. I want to know you. I want to marry somebody that I know. I want to marry somebody that I love. So it's important to know that he actually wants to know you. You're not chasing him down. He's been chasing you down since the beginning. It's just showing up and say, okay, I want to know you like you want to know me. I want to fuel the oil, my connection with the Lord. And that does require worship and sacrifice. Remember in the tabernacle, they brought worship. They brought offerings and they brought sacrifice. And then the woman, she poured out her oil. She laid a sacrifice, an offering down before Jesus. And worship is, uh, is a way that we can give to him. Worship is just simply putting our attention and our affection on him. So in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, say, thank you, Jesus, that I am in a new covenant. So in the Old Testament, that altar in the tabernacle was for animal sacrifice. Back then, in that time, the presence of God required a blood sacrifice. And so they would bring animals, specific kinds of animals, specific times, specific ways. And they would bring um, those as sacrifices in order to please the presence of the Lord. Say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm in a new covenant. I'm not an animal person, but I do not want that, right? So, and all of your pets... Thank us too. Thank the Lord too. So now, so a blood sacrifice was required back then. Then Jesus comes and he becomes the blood sacrifice that fulfills God's desire for blood. Jesus becomes that sacrifice. He completely satisfied the blood offering. But, say but, God's presence still requires a sacrifice, but it's so different. And this verse in Mark 12, 33. Now, in the Old Testament, remember in God's kindness, he actually spelled out exactly what, what his presence wanted. He said, bring this goat this time this way, right? Well, the New Testament, he still tells us exactly what he wants. He's so kind. He does not make us guess. So in Mark 12, 33, he says, and to love him with all the heart and all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. Notice the underlined part. It says, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So how do we fill our lamps with oil? 
through sacrifice, through, through uh, uh, working really hard, through being perfect. He says, love. He says, this is the offering that I want. It's more valuable to me than any of those other sacrifices or offerings. What I want is your love. How do you fuel your lamp with oil? How do you satisfy the presence of the Lord? You just love him in return because he already loves you. So it's just loving him in return. It's stewarding of friendship with the Lord. Do you guys feel pressure? I hope you don't because we took off the pressure in the beginning. All you have to do is show up and receive his love. And then you're just going to love him in return because that's all he's ever wanted is to walk with you in the garden, to tabernacle with you, to dwell among you, with you, and to have a relationship with you. And when you do that, you become the light of the world. In Psalm 84, 1, 10, and 11, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place. Do you, do you get the tabernacle referencing? All through the Bible, there's these tie-ins. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless." That's a love song. That's saying, I would rather be with you than anywhere else. Now think about like people that you love. Do y'all know what quality time is? I'm a big quality time gal. Like the love languages. You know you don't have to be, like if your love language is quality time, like you don't have to be really doing anything in particular with a person. You just kind of want to be in their presence. Right? God's saying, I just want to be with you. And the psalmist here, he, he re replied with that love song of saying, I just want to be with you. I'd rather be with you than anywhere else. It's okay to sound sappy. <laughs> He's saying, I just, want to sh I just want to be with you. I'd rather be with you than anywhere else in the world. I'd rather be your doorkeeper. I'd rather be just a servant in your house than to be far from you. I would just want to be in relationship with you. I just want to be in connection with you. They were fueling their, their lamps with oil, with this presence. So again, the awesome thing is that your lamp is your lamp. It's yours. It can be whatever color you want. Put whatever stickers you want on it. It's yours. It's personal. It's yours. Your friendship with Jesus is your friendship with Jesus. It does not have to look like mine. Say, thank God. It can look like yours. It's your friendship with him. Because he knows you personally. He knows every hair on your head, and he doesn't disclose the number. Some of you caught the joke late. He knows you intimately. He knows you personally. He knows every thought before you have it. He knows every desire of your heart. He knows you personally. Sometimes I think we think that God is God, master God in the universe, right? Or above the universe. 
And we think that he's just like a blanket God for all of us. And we all have to approach him the same way. But he wants a relationship with you. He knows you personally. So then he invites us to know him personally. For not just me to stand up here and tell you what he's like, but for you to go find out what he's like in your own life. For you to ask him the questions. For you to get to know his personality. For you to seek and find. And it's really awesome. It's, it's a personal thing. It's a personal friendship. So you need to know what he's like. And I've just been, um, I've been like down this path of meditative prayer lately. And one of the prayers that I just uh, want to roll around in my mind all the time, it goes like this. Uh, it says, the Lord, our God is a compassionate God. He is rich in mercy and he is gracious and slow to anger. He is overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. And I just find the more I just meditate on that, just roll it around in my brain, just as often as I think about it, it reminds me all day long what he's like. I'm getting to know what he's like just by saying it, just by rehearsing it out loud. So I'd encourage you to do that. It's a great way to get to know what he's like. Just pick a characteristic of God and just meditate on it. Just think about it all the time. And what it does is it kind of sinks in so that when something happens and before we would go, oh, God's angry with me. And we would like withhold and we would pull back because that's what we believed about God. Now I've told myself a hundred times a day that God is slow to anger. And so it just changes my relationship with him. It changes my connection with him because I get to, I'm getting to know personally what he's like. And again, that, that one is the one that I chose, but yours is yours. But it's important that we get to know what he's like for, for ourselves and that we get to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And I mentioned before that he doesn't hide that from us. He doesn't make that a secret or like, like oh, um, my, I just got in a car accident. I must have done a bad thing. Like, no, he actually just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He tells us how to do it. Love him. And he gives us his presence, his conviction. Do you ever get convicted? Do you ever do something and you're like, I don't think God liked that? That's the Holy Spirit's kindness. It says that his kindness leads us to change. It leads us to do things a different way. So when we recognize, oh, I don't think the Holy Spirit liked that. That's his friendship. Yes. That we can make a quick adjustment Oh, and just go, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, because I don't want there to be a break in our connection. And so I just made this adjustment so that I could stay really close in friendship with you. And he's, he is that for all of us, for, for each one of us. It's not just for me. He is that in you. You are his tabernacle. Yes. So it's important to know what he thinks about you, because again, if you, if you think that he thinks that you're just this little peon in the universe, and he's just waiting to crush you every time you make a mistake... That's going to that's gonna alter your friendship with God. If you had a dad who abused you or screamed at you every time that you did something, you're not going to be quick to go to that dad, right? But when you understand that God loves you, that Father loves you, that he loves to give good gifts to you, that he smiles over you, it says that he sings over us, 
So get to know what, who he is to you, what he thinks about you. Because the more you get to know what he thinks, what he actually thinks about you, not like what the world has said, not what your experiences with humans have taught you, but the more that you know what he thinks about you as a person, the more you're going to just embrace that friendship, the more you're going to show up and go, oh, oh, you're not the dad who screams at me. You're the dad that says, run to me, come boldly before me, lay it at my feet, and I'm going to help you. That's what he says. So the more that we know what he thinks about us, how he interacts with us, the more we're just going to embrace that friendship with him. We can also learn how he wants us to conduct our lives, which I just kind of talked about with conviction. But you can actually read through the New Testament. He actually tells us like how to interact with people. And it's real hard, which is why we don't often do it. Like love is incredibly patient and love is consistently kind to all. That's a hard one, right? But it is the way that he's called us to live. And so we need to know it, right? We need to know the sound of his voice. And we often think um, that that is a big, booming, thundering voice from heaven or like he's got to write on the wall or like it's got to be super, super obvious for us to know that it's his voice. But he actually, his voice usually just comes in a quiet whisper of our heart. And if you're practicing that, well, is it the heart of God? Is that quiet voice condemning? Is it um, angry? Is it not compassionate? Well, that's not God. That's not what he's like. So that's not God's voice. But sometimes we hear a voice of compassion and we're so used to rejecting that. We go, well, that can't be true. But if, his, if it, the voice is compassionate, we can actually receive that and say, oh, that's your voice. You're actually kind. You're actually compassionate. It's just a, a journey of learning his voice, what he sounds like. It's really fun. And um, this is the sappy one, to learn the shape of his smile. He actually rejoices over us with singing. And so just reminding yourself, oh, he rejoices over me with singing. So he's smiling over me. It kind of makes you wake up a little bit better. I just got into the habit of saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. And then I usually grab my phone and check Facebook or something. Because I'm still working on, like I'm still developing a friendship just like all of us. But I just, I like it being my practice that when I open my eyes, I go, good morning, Holy Spirit. Because he's actually been talking to me all night long. And I like to think that he's excited for me to wake up because then I can join back in the conversation. He never stops loving us. He never stops speaking good thoughts. The Bible says that if, um, if the thoughts that he had towards us were numbered, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. That means his love, his conversation with us is constant, forever and ever, every day, every night. So when I wake up and go, oh, good morning, Holy Spirit, he's like, yes, she's back in the conversation doesn't mean my spirit can't be talking with him all night, but my consciousness is back like, oh, we're in a conversation. And I think that's what the Bible means when it says prayer without ceasing. It's a conversation that never stops. So what does this look like? Again, I, I can't give you a formula. I can't give you like a five-step program of how to do this. It's a friendship. 
I, I heard someone one time, they took a class, an actual accredited class in college on how to make friends. So I don't know, apparently we're not really good at this. But it is a friendship. It's just a relationship that we get to develop with him. So it just comes by just living life with him. Because sometimes I think like as Christians um, and as preachers, we like to give like a five-step program. And so people come and they're like, all right, I got the five steps. If I do the five steps, I'm good, right? But I can't give you my oil and you can't give me yours. And I actually can't give you the last 30 plus years of my life and walking out a relationship with the Lord. You have your own years. And whether you started them a long time ago or you start them today, it's a friendship that only you can develop with him. And he loves you. I heard this quote this week by a French writer, and I can't pronounce his name, Antoine something. Um, but it says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And I think that's just the, that's the direction I want to go in, is less teaching you the five-step program and just teaching you how good friendship with him is, how good it is to be in a relationship with a God who has loved me every day of my life and loved you every day of your life. So I think if you need a place to start, just remember that he's with you, that you are his tabernacle, that, that you are his dwelling place. If you've received Jesus, and that's all you have to do is receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus into your life, then he, his presence is with you uh, all the time. He says that he'll never leave you or forsake you. So I think if you need a place to start, however that looks for you, it can really just start with acknowledging him. Just acknowledge that he's there. Like, good morning, Holy Spirit. Whenever you think about him, just acknowledge him. Were you ever like, do you ever like just, I don't know, uh, do you ever have a crush on somebody and like, it's just like, I can't think about anything else. You might not be at that place with Jesus and that's okay. But every time you think about him, go, oh, thank you, Jesus. And the more you do that, the more he comes to mind. The more, the more that you be just become aware in your day-to-day -day life, like, oh, Jesus is here. Holy Spirit is here. He's with me. So just acknowledging him, talking to him. I'm a big advocate for communication in relationships. I think it's very important. I think it solves most relational problems. So any relationship without communication is probably not a super healthy relationship. So talk to him. Just talk to him. You can do it when no one's looking. If you're sitting at the restaurant and you're, no one else is there and you start talking with Jesus, more power to you. But you don't have to do that. It can just be inside. It can be inside your own heart, inside your own mind, where you're loving him with your heart and your mind and your strength. And you can just say, Jesus, I'm really struggling right now. I feel really fill in the blank. I just, I just am letting you know that that's how I feel. Do you ever like have a conversation with someone 
Um, this happens a lot in relationships, and I'm so guilty of it. I'm working on it. Do you have a conversation with someone and they go, hey, I'm really feeling this way, and my default is to go, let me fix you. <laughs> and do you ever have somebody go, I don't want you to fix me. I just wanted you to hear what I'm feeling. You can actually just go to Jesus, go to the Holy Spirit, and say, this is what I'm feeling. And you don't have to wait for his five-step program. You can just tell him. And then the more you just learn to hear his voice, the more you might get an answer. You might just get peace. You might just be, he might just be like, I've been there too. Because he has, he's felt all of the same feelings that we felt. So you can just talk to him. And like no pressure. You can listen for him. I um, just read a book on prayer um, by Strawn Coleman. And he says, uh, he talks about moving from transactional prayer to relational prayer. Prayer as enjoying one another's presence and not just asking for something. Like quality time with a loved one. Sitting in, sitting in the fact that he likes my presence and I like his. And that's, that can be hard. Like, it can be hard for me. Like, honestly, I am still working on this. I don't even want to say it because you guys, like, pity me. But I'm still working on the idea that people would want uh, me to be around even if I'm not doing something for them. Do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, they only like me because I, they get this from me. So I'm just working on the idea that people actually just want to be around me because they want to be around me. And God's the same way. The Holy Spirit's the same way. He just wants to be around you. He just wants to be in your presence. He likes you. Say, he likes me. <laughs> All right, just a couple more. Thanksgiving and testimony. Next month when we do the My Story and the week before, I'm going to talk about the power of remembering him uh, and, and recalling to mind what he's done for us. That's another great way to fill your tank with oil, your lamp with oil. Um, to fuel your relationship with him is just to remind yourself of what he's done in your life. Because um, if you've got breath in your lungs today, he's done something for you. Um, and so... And many of us have so many testimonies, just rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing what he's done for us. Uh, and I just, I just like saying thank you, Jesus, throughout my day. Um, good night. I have a lot. Okay, I'll just skip. Um, the Bible is a great way to fuel your, your connection with him. Don't stop listening. Um, the Bible, actually, I just have noticed that the consistency of showing up to the table. On uh, Last week, I taught the kids about um, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, it was really fun because I said, what happens if your mom and your dad go, it's dinner time, and you refuse to come to the table? They all pretty quickly go, we don't eat. So they understood the concept that if it's dinner time, you have to go to where the dinner is, Right? So I just think it's great when we show up in consistency, just like you eat every day. Um, Y'all eat every day? I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> so just showing up at the table with him um, because he wants to feed us. He wants to give us our daily bread. So, okay, I'm going to skip to the end here. Say thank you, Jesus. 
All right. So from the beginning to the end, all he's ever wanted to do is walk with us in connection and communion. He wanted to walk with us in the garden when he first made us. And he actually just wants to walk with us. He wants um, to walk with us in the, the spirit, the presence um, of, his, of, of him. Uh, and so in the very beginning, God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And his presence was with man and woman in the garden. And it was very good. And then in the middle, so that's where we're at now. There is this process happening of us learning what it is to be the light of the world by being filled with the oil of his presence. So the more we fill our lamp with the oil of his presence, the more we develop our friendship with him, the more we shine, the more we become the light of the world. And then at the end of the book in Revelation 22.5, it's one of the last verses in the Bible, this verse blew me away. And guess what it talks about? Lamps. So in Revelation 22.5, it says, And night will be no more, and they will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's so incredible because he's always wanted a friendship with us, and we have to steward that oil because we live in a world that's very distracted and there's a lot of darkness in it. And so we have to continually be feeding our connection with the Lord, filling our lamp with oil. And then at the end, when he comes and he eliminates darkness, he said, you won't even need to fuel it anymore because it'll be constant. It'll be never ending. He says, my, our presence, my presence will be so rich and your presence with me will be so rich that we won't even need lamps anymore. It'll just be light. And so I want to get to that point. And again, it's not about working. It's not about making sure that I'm ready. It is about making sure I'm ready for the day, but it's not this pressure-filled thing. It's just feeding my connection with him every day and feeding your connection with him every day so that when he comes, you go, oh, we've been connected all along. I know you. I know you. So when he comes, he goes, oh, I know you. And we walk in glory together. So I actually don't believe that this lifetime is a lifetime of fighting darkness. I believe it's a lifetime of tending the oil of our life and growing near to the presence until we shine like him, until heaven and earth are one again, when the beginning of the story and the end of the story look the same. We're right in the middle of that. And he says, in him is light, and there is no darkness at all. So, Father, we just thank you for the light of your presence. God, I thank you for the great joy that it is that no other religion can say that they have friendship with their God. That we can have a personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Creator. That we can have a friendship with you, our Father, our friend. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've always wanted to dwell with us. From the beginning to the end, you always want to dwell with us. So Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge that you just want to be in friendship with us. God, we thank you for grace. 
where experience has taught us that that is impossible or it's not for us. We thank you that it's for all of us. God, and I thank you, Father, for just an increased awareness, God, that when we show up to the table, that you're already there waiting for us, that you've always wanted to be with us, that you like us. So I just thank you for that. God, and we just say in our hearts, we want to tend the oil of our relationship with you, that this is not a one-sided relationship, that we want to be in friendship with you. So we commit, God, that we're going to live a life of fueling our lamps with oil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.